Hey MW, it's Melissa and Stephanie Kirkache, two sisters and the founders of Millennial Women and your host of Millennial Women Talk. We're so grateful you're sharing your time with us today. By tuning into this episode, you're investing in becoming the best version of you and we are thrilled to be on this journey together. Are you living paycheck to paycheck? Are you struggling with financial stability? In today's episode, we chat with Tanya Rapley, an internationally recognized millennial money expert, mom entrepreneur, and founder of the award-winning site, MyFab Finance. She is the author of the Amazon bestseller, The Money Manual, a practical guide to help you succeed on your financial journey, and co-host of the Colorful Lives podcast. Tanya's mission is to help millennials just like us break the cycle of living paycheck to paycheck and achieve financial freedom. There were so many insightful moments on this episode, but here's some of our favorites. Anytime you're about to buy, ask yourself, what marketing tactic is being utilized on me right now to fit me to purchase this? Is it a marketing tactic or is it a need? And I think that, that that's the strongest tool you have in your arsenal is being aware of what's being used. And then before you act, asking yourself what's being used against you. Because you don't want to create a business or build a business from a place of stress. Because desperation is not a good business plan. It's not a good business plan. It's not a good business strategy. You will say yes to things that might compromise your vision, compromise your, your energy, compromise your ultimate goal with your business just so you don't make a quick buck. Okay, MW, the journey to getting closer to the best you starts right now. Thank you so much for being here, Tanya. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. For the few of us who may not know, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So uh, I'm a financial educator, founder of MyFed Finance. I guess she's an entrepreneur, change agent, best-selling author, and a mother. And so, yeah, created MyFed Finance um, back in 2013, but now that is my primary uh, focus. That's amazing. So I have, you know, dived into all of your information on your website, on your Instagram, which by the way, your Instagram is on fire because it gives me a lot of great tips and tricks that are very useful. So I love that. And I've listened to you in other podcasts as well. You have been in a lot of amazing podcast episodes. One thing stood out to me and I, and, and you can feel comfortable speaking however you want to speak about it, but you said that you were in an abusive financial relationship, and that to me kind of rang a bell, and I said, well, what does that all mean? Could, do you mind sharing a little bit about what that meant, what that means to you? Yeah, so I was in a financially abusive relationship, well, uh, a, a abusive relationship, and financial abuse was a component of that um, experience, ironically, in Miami, Florida, when I was finishing college. And so one thing I've learned over the course of my work is that it manifests itself differently in different people's scenarios. In mine, it was that my abuser essentially refused to work and I bore the burden of all the household responsibilities. So in bearing the burden of the household responsibilities, I didn't have enough to leave. Um, So there was physical abuse, there was emotional abuse, but then also because of the financial abuse, I wasn't able to leave. Anybody who's familiar with abuse or cycles of abuse know that, you know, isolation is part of that. And so I was isolated. I was living in Texas away from my family who was all in North Carolina. It was just me and him there. And so it was really challenging for me to say, you know, I'm going to pick up and leave. And so I swallowed my pride and called my mother and was like, hey, 
this relationship is awful. I've been lying to you guys and I want to come home. And so, uh, but yeah, for other people, it might look like um, that person sabotaging your your employment opportunities or your educational opportunities or um, that person giving you an allowance or not allowing you to own any assets in your name. So it can look different for different relationships, but the I think the baseline is using power and control to manage someone else's finances and essentially their life opportunities. Yeah, wow. absolutely. And and you said that you, it was hard for you to leave because you couldn't afford to leave. What did you do to get out of that situation to either, you know, help yourself afford to leave or, you know, what was the situation like? It was, you know, part of it was just like taking my losses. One of the reasons I didn't want to leave is because I was in a lease with an apartment um, for an apartment complex. I didn't want to break my lease. I was going to have to break the lease. Of course, he didn't qualify for it. So it was in my name. So it was going to go on my credit. I was just like, you know what? We're going to have to break this lease. Like, you know, this is what it is. It's like, I'm going to break my lease or he's going to break my nose. You know, it's, it's like, you know, I, I had to decide that right. that was what was the most important thing at that moment. But then also reaching out for help and realizing that even though I had isolated from myself, from my family, my family still loved me and they still wanted the best for me. And I called my mom and told her I wanted to leave. And she put money in my bank account and I was out of there. Like I left as soon as that money became available. Um, and that was the gas money I needed to, to drive home. So it was um, swallowing my pride and reaching out to my family and asking them for the support I needed at that time. Wow. Tanya, you've been through so much and it's so inspiring to yeah. see you now on the flip side, right? Because um, that sounds like such a challenging time. Could you explain... so? You moved back home and then you started my fab finance. How tell us a little bit about that whole journey of when you actually decided to make this a business. So I didn't move back home and start my fab finance. I moved back home and started making a whole bunch of more financial mistakes. I moved back home and me and my friends, like I graduated. I left in um, February or March um, of that year and I graduated from college in May of that year. And so I ended up, because I had moved all my classes to online classes, and I still was able to graduate. So um, after graduation, you know, I was traveling around with my friends, living my life, doing things. Like, you know, I was 22 years old. And so I was just living with my parents, not putting any money aside in savings, not planning for my financial future. I, it was essentially in YOLO mode, like full time. Um, and and then I ended up moving to New York City. I decided I want to move to New York at 24. I moved to New York and was working, you know, working just different opportunities and so forth. It wasn't until I moved to New York in 2008. I didn't set up my fab finance until 2013. And so between that time, what happened was I started working at a nonprofit with low income women. And that's when I was like, wait a minute, Tanya, like, you're going to be a low-income woman if you don't get your financial life together because you're out here playing games, basically. And so that's when I decided, you know what? It's time for me to get my financial life together. I'm going to create a blog about it because I would like to get free clothes. And maybe maybe Macy's will send me like free clothes and stuff like that if I set up this financial responsibility blog. And I set it up. And then it wasn't until uh, I, I was blogging about my own stuff. And then it was about a year later, I went on vacation to Paris and London with my mother and sister. And during that time, I was like, you know, there are people who blog for a living and travel around the world and do whatever they want for a living, like, and don't have to go to a nine to five that they hate. I'm going to figure out how to do that. 
And so I made the decision in 2014. And in 2015, I was working for myself. I I resigned from my nine to five to do it full time. That's amazing. That's amazing. So, you you know, you talk about being financially free. And when I heard that, I was like, does that even exist? Like financially (laughs) free, does that even exist? What does that mean? How do you do that? And can we all truly be financially free? Yeah, financial freedom does exist, you know, and I think that as a society, we've accepted this norm that it doesn't and that everybody is just trying to figure it out. I mean, 80% of the American population lives paycheck to paycheck. And so I think that we've accepted that that is the norm. But then you meet somebody, you know, I I think we all have come into contact with somebody and we're like, wow, they're not really, they're not like a millionaire, but they have their ish together. Like they have their ducks in a row. And it's those people that inspired me to become more financially responsible because there were people who I met, you know, who, you know, whether they did everything right and they retired and they retired without any debt. Um, I think that now millennials, we're tapping into our earning potential. And so now most of us are making, you know, six figures in in our lifetime, whereas in, you know, our elders or people before us or generations before us, that wasn't even possible. So for us, financial freedom is even more possible because we're earning even more money and we have control over how we earn our money because of the internet and us being, you know, social media and so forth. So it's like, yes, it's totally possible. Financial freedom looks like eliminating all of your consumer debt, eliminating your student loan debt if you can. So the only thing that you have, you know, that you you minimize your financial responsibilities to like what is necessary so that you can do what you want because you figured out a way to cover your basics or cover what's necessary. And then everything else is just, you know, the cherry on top of your financial situation. So one of the people I love is Michelle Schroeder. Um, Michelle Schroeder. What is Michelle's blog? I forgot Michelle's blog. It'll be in the show notes, right? So Michelle, <laughs> Michelle her blog, like Michelle is maybe, I want to say maybe 34, 35. And she makes almost a million dollars a year on her blog alone. Wow. Like she's financially free. Um, and it's not just, you know, making a million dollars, you know, on your blog, but once you become financially free, you free yourself up to figure out how to make more money and how to make your money. It's like a compound, it's like a, a compounding effect that you start to make more money and more money and money works for you in better ways because now you're not boggled down with this job or these tedious activities that distract you from production, productive activities that actually help you grow your wealth and grow your money. So it is possible, um, but it does start with eliminating your debt and uh, minimizing your overhead. Hmm. Since you're so involved in the financial world, right, I would love to know what are some of the main concerns that you're hearing about um, as far as millennial women when it comes to money? I think, you know, student loans, student loans concern everybody, student loans stresses everybody out. Um, it's one of those things where we took it out when we were younger and we did it because we felt like it was part of the greater, the big sum game. And like, if we didn't do it, then we were going to be left behind only to find that a lot of people took on student loan debt and it, like what you benefited or what you gained from it didn't equal, you know, the expense. Um, so definitely student loans, um, I would, especially millennial women, um, parenting, like moving into motherhood. What does that look like? What does it look like? to take care of a child, what does it look like to raise a child, daycare, everything else. Um, home ownership. Home ownership is another big thing. Um, I have a lot of people who reach out to me, you know, deciding like, is it time for me to buy a home? Should I continue to rent? Would it be more affordable, et cetera? So I'd say those are the top 
three things is student loans, family, and home ownership, what that looks like for, for them. Yeah, that's interesting. And it's funny because we do have a fireside question section of this podcast episode because a lot of people on Instagram, when we said that you were going to be on the show, were like submitting a ton of questions. And two of those are on the questions list, which we'll get to in a little bit. Um, never never fails. <laughs> never fails. Never fails. You, you have something really interesting in your website that I was just like, holy bananas. How do we fix this? And it's about marketing. So it's almost like, you know, the, the, the marketing, what's in the media that's like attracting us, what to buy, you know, how do we, I guess, counteract what marketing tactics are being, I guess, pushed in front of us in the media? How do we counteract that? Um, I think it is being aware of the different tactics that people use, right? So when I, um, yeah, one of the things is like, what are ways they get you to buy? scarcity, making you feel like, you know, there's not, there won't be another opportunity like this, or there's not enough product they're about to sell out. Um, deadlines, using deadlines, like you think that um, this is a limited time offer, appealing to your sense to belong, you know, everybody, essentially everybody else is doing this. If you want to be part of the in crowd or look like you belong, you should do this too. Um, so being aware of the different tactics they use. And then anytime you're about to buy, ask yourself, what marketing tactic is being used, utilized on me right now to convince me to purchase this? Is it a marketing tactic or is it a need? And I think that, that that's the strongest tool you have in your arsenal is being aware of what's being used. And then before you act, asking yourself what's being used against you. As long as you know what marketing tactic you are succumbing to, then I think that you're a more informed buyer and that you're, you're more likely to say, you know what? I actually don't need this. I, I'm realizing like I'm buying this in the heat of the moment because I like, their marketing is working on me. Or you might say, you know what? No, I need this. Like even if they didn't market, if, even if they weren't marketing towards me, I'd still be coming in the store to buy this. So being educated and understanding how marketing works, I think, is the most important thing. And you don't have to be a marketing major. You don't have to be a marketing professional to understand it because it's just the basics. Our desire to belong, convenience, or making us feel like there's some type of scarcity attached to the item. Yeah, that's wow. so good. And it's funny because a lot of like the QVCs of the world, I remember I used to watch that late at night like years ago and I was like, I do need this blender. She would <laughs> fall for it a lot more than yeah. I would. I have to I have to admit that. But you would buy so many things off of the TV. Those infomercials were like like, oh, that would make my life easier. Oh, yeah, I have that problem. But it's like, if you didn't see this commercial, did you have that problem? Like, was this the thing that you were walking around thinking, you know what? If I could find a knife that could cut through, you know, pennies, it would make my life so much better. Like, most of the time, we don't think about those things. You know what I mean? So it's, it really is asking yourself, was I thinking about this before I was presented with the purchasing opportunity? And if you were, then go do it. Go buy it. But if you weren't, that's a signal to you that it's not an item that you need. Oh, 100%. I'm actually doing that with clothes now. I'll walk in and I'm like, I really love this. But then I'll walk out and I'll leave. Like I'll walk around the mall for an hour. And if I'm still thinking about it, I'll buy it. If I'm not, I don't buy it. So Good. I'm learning, you guys. I'm learning. <laughs> I've had that happen. You know, it, honestly, I mean, you know, and I buy things, you know, my fat finance, my brand is all about, you know, like I don't believe in deprivation as a financial freedom strategy. And so um, the other day, you know, I was shopping on ASOS.com. And something happened or like I they, I needed my password or something like that. I forgot my password. So like 24 hours elapsed and I like I went and started doing other things. I was like, oh, my God, you forgot your stuff in your ASOS card. And like I actually needed it because I have a taping this weekend that I'm using, you know, I'm buying some of the items for. 
And so that was an example. Like I went, I went and found the items again and put them back in my cart and got them because I needed them for a shoot. But otherwise I'd be like, mm, it's okay. You know, so it's like, yeah, right? I don't need it. When, when you really need it or you really, you know, it's really something that you feel like you can't move on without, you'll go back and get it. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I want to talk about living paycheck to paycheck because I do know personally a couple people that are going through this. It's very stressful. Um, what are some of your tips and tricks on how to break that cycle of living paycheck to paycheck? Yeah. I mean, that's what we were. So, yeah, I mean, you know, so most people have like two types of debt, you know, whether it's, you know, you have your revolving debt, which is credit cards, and then you have your installment, which is your car payment, student loans, your mortgage. And so the debt that, you know, you really want to eliminate first is that revolving debt, because that tends to be your high interest rate. That tends to be the debt that is most expensive to you, what you're paying more money to utilize. And so for that, most people are not taking a snapshot of how much debt they have. Like they know they have a credit card here. They know they have a credit card there. They know they have, you know, they know they have debt. They just don't know how much they have. And if they were to receive a certain amount of money or if they were to get a bonus, they don't even know if that bonus will clear that debt out. And so what I do suggest is people take a bit, a snapshot because when you have an understanding of how much debt you owe, a lot of times it becomes less daunting or you like, okay, I know that I at least need to do this to pay this off. So like one example is like when I started my fab finance, I self-funded because I didn't have funding. Uh, I decided not to, you know, raise funds from private investors and so forth. And so I went into about $20,000 in debt over the course of two years building a business. And so when I got to a point where the business was profitable, I had to take snapshots like, okay, we need to build a plan to eliminate this debt. Even on an inconsistent entrepreneur's income, even having a baby, we're going to eliminate this debt. And now I'm down to like the last 6,000, which will be eliminated next week. And so it really was taking that snapshot and taking that mental picture to say, okay, this is what I need. And when I get this extra in, we're going to put this towards that so that we can eliminate it. So I highly, and that helps so much with anxiety. Um, and it helps you decide, you know, I want to pay this one first because, you know, it's the smallest balance. Or I want to pay this one first because it has the highest interest rate. Or I want to pay this one first because it's I'm maxing out my credit card and I need to pay my credit card down because it's affecting my credit score. You have to figure out what you want to pay debt off for. Like, are you paying debt off to boost your credit score? Are you paying it off to have a peace of mind? Are you paying it off to move forward and, you know, something in your life or whatever it may be? Um, so that's the first tip. And then the second one is like, there are a lot of people who make excuses instead of finding solutions. And there's always a solution. You can find excuses or you can find solutions. So become focused on finding solutions. How am I going to get more money to pay this off? What opportunities can I take on? Do I need to get a part-time job? Do I need to start driving Postmates or Uber or Shipped? Or do I need to, you know, do I need to get a raise at my job? Do I need to move around my tax contributions or my uh, my tax exemptions so that I'm getting more of my paycheck now? And maybe I'm not getting a big refund, but I'm getting more of my paycheck now so I can use this to pay off my debt. Or do I want to wait until I get my tax refund and just use this to clear out my debt? But there are always solutions and you have to become focused on creating solutions because they're there. And um, sometimes, you know, I like to remind people that, your circumstances now won't be your circumstances down the line. And that's good and bad. You know, as an entrepreneur, I have to remind myself of that, like sitting in happiness of what is going good in my life, but also understanding that we don't reap the seeds that we sow today. We reap the seeds that we sowed yesterday. So I have to continuously be sowing for opportunities. But if I'm in a valley or if I'm in a bad part of my life, if I'm feeling, you know, down about debt 
Also understanding that as long as I'm taking actions towards eliminating this, this is not a constant theme in my life and it eventually will be taken care of. Right. A hundred percent. And I think a lot of people don't realize that, you know, if it's okay, if you have to take that second job or have that or flip things on eBay, whatever it takes to really, really bring that down. Because I feel like sometimes you just see this big mountain that you have to climb and you're like, I don't know how I'm going to do that because I, this is how much I make. And that's that. And from an entrepreneurship side as well, it's, it's interesting because yes, you do invest so much of your own money into the business. Um, how do you now, and congratulations, now you're going to be out of debt as of next week as of what you said, which is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> what is your next plan now to make sure that you don't that you don't get in a debt again, but at the same time you're still financially free and building and building a future for yourself? Yeah, I, I you know for me and you know early on, I think that you building a business you're in a vulnerable stage, right? Because you look at everything as an investment. You're like, okay, I need to do this. I need to do this. It's an investment in my business. But now I'm really clear on return on investment. Is this an adequate return on my investment? Um, when I, you know, when I'm looking at contracting someone and bringing someone in, we do three month contracts to make sure that the return on investment is there for any personnel that I bring into my business. Um, when I'm, if I'm going to be coaching, I'm not coaching with as many people as before. And a lot of that debt did come from hiring a personal coach to help me grow my business. And so it is about just understanding opportunity costs and then doing audits regularly with myself, you know, is there a way to do this or is there a way to achieve this without hiring this person, without doing this or without doing that? Um, one of the things I also did set up, like I said, was the Blue Ribbon Club. And the Blue Ribbon Club was me creating recurring revenue stream in my business so that we had consistent revenue that we had coming that we could plan for. So I know that if, if something ex- takes this or exceeds my expenses by this much, then it's costing me more money than I'm bringing in for my business. So now I have benchmarks to say, my fat finance brings in this amount of money each and every month. Anything outside of this is borrowing from somewhere else, which could potentially put me in a vulnerable state to have to create more debt. Right. So you have created a structure that works. Yeah, I have. And you know, one book that I loved um, was Profit First by Mike Michalowicz. Um, it's a really good book for new entrepreneurs. It helps you figure out, you know, how you're going to manage money as an entrepreneur, but how do you weigh those costs and then how you start to put money aside for those operation costs or for those one-time expenses that might occur in your business so that you're not going into debt to do it and so forth. So that's a book I highly recommend. Um, And you know, one thing I do credit was joining a mastermind and joining a mastermind of people who were at my level or above my level because it required me to level up. It required me to think of other things. But then from there, I established lifelong friendships that served me even after I leave the mastermind. And so I'm continuously getting forward to with business advice from people who I've connected with to help me think about ways to make my business more profitable. I do know there's so many millennials that are entrepreneurs. So all of this is so informative for them, which makes me super excited. At what year would you say you were kind of like, okay, I have to figure out what you were saying more of like a stream of income that you know is going to be there every month? Like at what year were you like, okay, I have to start creating this for this business? This year. (laughs) This year when I had my baby. Um, Because before I had Karis, I could work, you know, all day. I could go anywhere. I could take any opportunity that was presented to me for the most part, as long as there wasn't a scheduling conflict. But becoming a mother has really forced me to create more boundaries and limitations for myself and my business. And so now I have to say no to certain things. But if I'm saying no to certain things that I need to be able to 
um, replace that because we still have to make money. Um, but I still want to be present. I still want to be a present parent and so forth. And so uh, it really was parenthood that forced me to transition. And I know a lot of people in my industry who did it beforehand. I'm kind of hard headed in that regard where I was like, oh, I, I don't want to do what everybody's doing. Um, but I wanted to do it my way. Um, but yeah, the change and the demand and like parenthood really just changed the game for me. And it was like, oh, okay, you're not as you're not as productive as you were. Like even, you know, we had to reschedule this because my nanny had been on vacation all last week. And then like she comes at a certain time and I have to get ready and I'm trying to condense everything into that window when she's here. Um, so it just required me to be smarter about how I utilize my time. So it was this year. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> I, I love that, you know, because it's it's like it's a whole new era, I feel, for business and what a business even looks like today. And, like, I always think about, okay, so someone has a shop and they're creating, I don't know, a piece of clothing and then you buy the clothing. Okay, that makes sense. But now entrepreneurial and, like, kind of the business where we're in, right, which is we provi- provide value, we curate inspiration, resourceful content, right? So the content is the product, right, in many ways. And so as an entrepreneur, you're kind of thinking, okay, well, how am I going to sell this content, right? And so you're – because you have to make money because every day you're working on making content, right? So it's so – the mindset is like – completely different than what when any book would say but I'm definitely interested in reading that book that you mentioned to us but you know I love what we're talking about here and how to really sell content you know is it advertisers is it asking like membership programs like for the consumer to actually pay for the content they're yeah. receiving so there's so many different facets and ways of doing this yeah definitely there, there's so many ways to do it and I mean you know you have to do what way works best for you and my fat finance, you know, we were generating six figures before I created the membership club. And so we were we were doing well and it was working for us. It was just time wise. It wasn't working for me anymore. The way that I was working, the manner I was working in didn't work for me. So that's why I had to restructure. And I think most people do find themselves in that position where it's like timing wise, this doesn't make sense. Or it could be financially, this doesn't make sense. How am I going to create a solution so I can stay in business? But um can, you know, can serve the needs of my clients, but also being true to myself and the reasons I started this business. Absolutely. That's really good advice. We're going to dive into the Instagram questions from our community because they all went wild, but we only picked a couple of them. (laughs) Um, Let's talk about payment plans. They asked about payment plans and settlements and what is the most practical way for the average person to get out of debt? I think Stephanie kind of answered something, asked something a little bit like that um, earlier. But could you give us a maybe kind of a step-by-step condensed so, yeah, answer? Well, that, I mean, that's a loaded question because payment plans and it was payment plans. And, settlement, and, and settlements. And settlements. Payment plans and settlements. You know, usually you get to a payment plan or a settlement. Okay. So usually you get to a settlement when the item has been sold to collections. And so... That's oh okay so, yeah <laughs> settlement is when like they've basically been charged off so that's where like they try to collect it from you they're not getting anywhere so decide to settle it out and say hey, this is what you owe us pay it when you can um, with settlements a lot of times you do have leeway because they've sold that to someone and so they paid maybe like ten cents for every dollar or fifty cents for every dollar so they might have bought your, your debt for half off so for them if they buy if you pay half of the debt then they're you know, at least making their money back. Or you pay 75% of the debt, they're still making their money back. So if you have something that's um, in settlement or collection, 
always call and see if you can negotiate it because chances are they'll negotiate a lower amount and they'll likely and sometimes they'll set up a payment plan if you don't have the entire amount they'll say okay make four installments or make three installments and you know you paid the debt for less than the amount owed but you paid it off um with installment plans um or payment plans yeah as long as they're not charging you exorbitant interest or anything like that definitely set one of those up because that can allow you to move the needle towards eliminating your debt versus just not doing anything about it. And, you know, moving the needle towards it moves you closer to becoming debt-free and breathing a little easier. So yes, setting up that payment plan definitely does make sense. You just want to make sure that um, it's a reputable company that you're setting your payment plan up with, that you put on your calendar when they're going to take the payment out so you don't have any surprises or get any overdraft fees um, related to that payment plan. Um, And then you know, eliminating debt as soon as possible. It really is taking inventory of what you owe, starting maybe with the lowest balance and eliminating that and then moving on to the next thing so that you can get those those small wins throughout, you know, your debt elimination process. I don't ever recommend someone to start with the largest amount because then you feel like you're paying forever and you're like, for what? But when you start with a small amount, you know, you're paying that off. You're like, yeah, I paid off one credit card. Okay, now I'm paying off the next credit card and you can keep going from there. Yeah. Amazing. Okay, I got another question for you. So, okay, it's about credit scores. Where can we safely obtain our credit report and how can we raise our credit score? Okay. Um, Well, you know, the good thing is that services such as Credit Karma, Credit Sesame, um, those services are actually, you know, great places to receive your credit score. They're not the actual credit score that lenders would use to qualify you, but we have over 40 different credit scores. So even if you go directly to FICO, you still might not be using the model that your banking institution would use to grant you an auto loan or a mortgage. So it gives you a good idea of where you stand. And most banking institutions do offer credit monitoring service now as a part of your membership. So those are great places to go and you don't receive any dings on your credit report for that. You can go to annualcreditreport.com, but that's only going to give you your credit report and it's not going to give you your credit score. If you want to have a good understanding of what your score range is, then I would recommend going to those services mm. such as Credit Karma, Credit Sesame, or your bank. Or you can go directly to like Experian or TransUnion or Equifax. They all have services where they'll provide you your credit score for a small fee. They, the I should say the bureaus will charge you a small fee, but... Credit Karma, Credit Sesame, your bank will not charge you a fee to give you an idea of what your credit score is. And then in boosting your credit score, um, most people know to pay their bills on time. The most important, the next most important thing is keeping your utilization below 30%. So a quick win that you can get when it comes to your credit score is if, take your credit score, take your, you know, your if you have credit cards available to you, and you should because it does take credit, it does take debt to build credit. So you are going to need like some type of credit card or some, you know, your student loans or whatever, ideally you would have a credit card and or a student loan or a mortgage or a car payment because that's revolving and installment debt is the two types of debt that you need. Have a look at your credit card. Say, okay, my balance and my limit is say $5,000. Your goal at any given time should be to have that limit below 30%. Um, 30% is, is great, is good. 15% is awesome. So your goal should be to get it down below 30%. So if you have a $5,000 credit score, credit card and your balance is $3,000 on it, then you're using almost all of that utilization to you. Your goal should be to have no more than 1500 charged on that credit card at any given time because that's going to boost your score immediately once you get it down to 1500 because it reduces your utilization. And a lot of people don't realize that credit card companies, they like to see you pay on time 
but they also like to see you responsibly use your credit card. So if you're paying it down below that 30% utilization each and every month, and they're saying, you know, they use their credit card, but they're really responsible with it. They don't ever use more than they need. They always pay it down. Then that will boost your score automatically too. That is so good because that, that can be tempting. If you don't have that self-discipline, like that little email, we raised your credit limit can really be dangerous. <laughs> I got one the other day. I think the, my previous credit limit was like 8000 and they raised it to 15000 I was just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> what? I'm still going to pay. I'm paying this card off and it's good to know if something happens, you know, 15 Hey. We need to find, we need to finance, you know, I'm not going to say a car or anything like that, but I'm like, gosh, okay, we need to, you know, do something. We, we have that available to us, but a lot of times it's good just acting like it's not there, just acting like it's not there. And that's what I highly recommend is when you get um, increasing your credit on your credit card, act like it's not there. Okay. We have two more questions from Instagram. So if someone is thinking of buying a property, what are the do's and don'ts when considering a new home? Oh, the do is, of course, do your research. Make sure you have a good team. Don't go with the first realtor um, that you find or the first person that comes across your timeline. Really interview them. Spend time to talk to them because you want a realtor who's invested in, in your long-term success and not just getting the deal done. Because some people will put you in a home or a product or whatever so that they can make their money for the month, but it's not the best for you financially. And when you start to build those relationships, you'll see with someone like my real estate agent, when she goes and looks at something, she'll be like, it's not a good deal. It's, it's not the best deal. And she's like, I'm just not going to make a sale just for the sake of making a sale. So you do want to make sure you have good people in your corner who will look out for your best interests and like interview people. So do your research, interview people, understand like what areas are best for you and best for what you're trying to accomplish. But then also don't feel pressured to buy a home because you feel like everyone else is doing it or because you feel like it's what's next. Because homeownership is expensive. Homeownership is really expensive. And it's so different when you can't call someone, you know, to like if you have a sewage backup and you have to call, you know, a company and so forth. And if you're living paycheck to paycheck, it's only going to exasperate that. I, I have a, a close friend now and her and her husband, they purchased a home and they got a below asking price. So that was great. Then they move into the home and find out it has all these issues. It had bed bugs. They had to repaint the entire house. They had to treat the entire house. They had to pull the carpet up and everything. And this is just moving in. And then they just like, they got through that. And that was like, I'm going to say like $12,000 worth of work. And then they just found a crack this week. Like they just found a leak in the house. And so it was like making sure that financially you can afford anything that might come with that house, because it's not just about the closing costs and your down payment. It's any repairs that might be needed for that house, unless you're building something from the ground up. Um, so definitely don't feel tempted to buy something just because, and, you know, find out if, you know, re renting is not always bad, you know, renting, you don't, you're not protected from increasing increases in prices and so forth, but sometimes renting might make sense for your lifestyle and where you are in your life. So determine if it makes, what makes the most sense for you. A lot of food for thoughts there. I love it. We have one more question from Instagram. This is an entrepreneurial question. So I am currently unhappy with my nine to five and looking forward to starting my own business. Um, when do I know when I'm financially ready to quit my job? When your business is making just as much money as your job. <laughs> no, that, that's essentially when you know when you're bringing as much money because quitting your job is not going to, it doesn't like set off this like, 
when, if you were to quit your job, it's not like people are like, oh, she quit her job. Now let me support her business because so and so and so. Like nobody cares. Like you still have to have the same amount of hustle that you had beforehand. Um, so I do suggest that, but also making sure that you eliminate as much debt as possible because you might have to take on more debt when you do build your business and having money and savings. One of the reasons like I created debt was because I was using my savings or using the money I had set aside or using the money I had coming in to take care of my everyday expenses. So I didn't have to create any debt for my everyday expenses. And at least that was covered. And that didn't require any, that didn't stress me out because you don't want to create a business or build a business from a place of stress because desperation is not a good business plan. It's not a good business plan. It's not a good business strategy. You will say yes to things that might compromise your vision, compromise your, your energy, compromise your ultimate goal with your business just to you know make a quick buck. So it would be minimize your overhead as much as possible, save as much as possible, eliminate as much debt as possible, but also be bringing in money in that business. If you haven't replaced your full-time income completely, at least replace half. At least be bringing in at least half of what you would make in your nine to five so that you know like this has a possibility to cover my, my expenses. And get the support of your significant other or anybody who might be supporting you. Because when I resigned to do my fat finance, you know, me and my husband were planning our wedding. And I told him I was going to resign. And he was like, cool. And then we were like paying cash for our wedding. And he's like, I don't know why you thought it was okay to resign from your job and pay for wedding cash all within six months. But we got it done. <laughs> but in the end, like, I had to have his support. I had to have him on my team in order to do that because it just makes it so much harder. Makes it so much harder if you don't have support. Oh, 100%. on a side note, I just have to say that's amazing from going from a horrible, abusive relationship to finding your man that supports you. Congrats. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And he, my husband is, um, he's an entrepreneur and a freelancer too. And we have a lot of conversations about that, about what it looks like. We're both fortunate to be in good places in our career. But, you know, as parents, it, it just it shakes everything up because it's like, no, we aren't available the way we were, we once were, and we have to figure out what that looks like. So it, it's, it's, it's intriguing. It's fun. It's adventure. <laughs> That's amazing. In the essence of fun, um, we're, we're going to be closing out the episode. I'm sad about it actually, but um, how do you make finance fun? You know, money can be fun. You know what I mean? We have fun while we're spending it. We can have fun yeah. while we're learning about it. It really is about that approach and it, it's helping people understand that you can get as much joy from doing right by your money as you get from spending it and doing the wrong things with your money. So I just look for those those fun ways that money ties into different things. Like one of the things I like doing is like we, you know, what's your money theme song or things like that. Just like <laughs> I think money sometimes financial educators are so heavy. Um and like they're it's just like teach, 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 teach. Without understanding like we're people and we do things because we enjoy it. So just always looking for those opportunities to relate it to something else. Always looking for that. And then bringing my personality to it. Like that was part of the reason why I got into personal finances because I felt it was dry. I felt like they were like these soccer moms from Nebraska talking about being financially responsible. It's like, but I live in a big city and I'm chasing my dreams. Like wh where's the finance for people like that? And so really making sure that I'm infusing my personality in it and listening to my audience because my audience is brilliant and they're awesome and listening to them and allowing them to guide some of the stuff that we do. And then lastly, including my team and getting outside advice because I don't know everything. And I think there's, there's so much beauty in collective knowledge. And so leaning on my team and asking them what their opinions are, how could we do this differently? Or how do you think 
we could present this to the audience and so forth. That's great. Tanya, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. If you want to learn more about Tanya, please visit myfabfinance.com. Subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes and Spotify. Ladies, this helps us continue to bring powerful conversations just like this to you every single week. Are you looking for free and discounted resources? Sign up right now to our free newsletter at wearemillennialwomen.com because subscribers only get freebies and perks to help you become the best version of yourself. We encourage you to continue on with the conversation. Keep being the strong, amazing woman that you are and never forget to live inspired. Until next time, MW. Always love Melissa and Stephanie Karkache.